0: Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Thank you for sharing that, Rachel. There are times in our life that God makes it very clear what we're to do, and then there's other times that I, I think that sometimes we shortchange God. I think God wants to do more, and that was one of the things that I encouraged Rachel, like, okay say let's do 500 but let's let's do bigger like what are you thinking she's like well there's this thing that says 2000 she's like i don't know and it's that fear of failure right the fear of like okay i don't want to fail or i don't want to i don't want to come up short i want to accomplish the goal but when god's involved then he gets all the glory right and that's what i love when we shoot for something that's beyond us then then we know it's from god then we know it has to be him Back in June of 1978, June of 1978, I was one year old at that point. June of 1978, uh, West Hill Baptist Church brought on this young couple. Uh, They had come and presented the year before uh, about starting their ministry and their work in Italy. And it is an absolute joy to be able to welcome friends of mine and partners in the ministry.
1: Uh, you just me with that one year thing story. Aaron, <laughs> you before Aaron goes, what he just explained about those lo- young little kids. And, and I'm sure some very generous people here. Uh, you do not need some major explosion in the sky to understand God's will. And let me just share why. Uh, 19 whatever when 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 was it when we, we I, I shared with Aaron So Aaron, th- do you remember when we spoke right back there by the It was
0: 2007
1: 2007 I said Aaron wow what a what a beautiful thing you know I'm thinking about what would what could we do that's different unique and so on in Italy and we've always been doing different things and and I said what if, what if we tried an English camp you know the Italians love English and uh and uh they love Americans more than they love British people. <laughs> I, I I don't know why, but they just are enamored with America. I said, why, why don't we try so Well, boy. And, and Aaron, was that in 2000? How long? So 2006, on? actually, it was. Yeah, okay. So you had just been on. So your-
0: I started as the senior pastor in 2005.
1: My goodness. So, you know, within a year or two, that's a huge shift to make in terms of what you're going to do. Guess what? We did it. It was very, I was scared to death, much like Rachel. And oh, can we do $500? An English camp. Well, these guys are going to come all the way from America. What if it's a flop and we have 10 people there, 20 or whatever? Well, let me put it this way from a small, uh, insignificant conversation, right back where that mixer board is, uh, they brought their team over and uh, half of them were pregnant, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Women playing soccer, pregnant. It shocked the people in Italy more than COVID. Well, anyway, uh, we did the camp, mega success. And from that moment on, every single year, except for last year with the COVID, that has been the number one anticipated camp, I would say in Italy, as young men and women flocked to that camp not necessarily to learn english which was a fun thing of course but uh, through that unique opportunity many 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 kids came to know christ uh, many are continuing on today i shared with Aaron a letter that one of the young gals who came uh, brilliant now speaking english and all because Mm. of that little unique conversation that Said just what he told Rachel, huh? Let's see what God can do, and and that's what it was. So anyway, thank you, Amen, and uh, thanks, Doug. Grazie. It was, uh, it was, it was a long time ago, and uh, back in those days, well, 1977, we came here because in those days uh, these churches would do what they call a round robin mission conference that's a way to say let's say today i'm speaking at west hill and tomorrow i'm in a church in i don't know in kentucky well 10 or 12 churches would combine their forces together to uh invite missionaries and we were one of them that came to this and since that time we been part of your family and it is 1977 there is a, a phrase in uh, is it back there Aaron I'm trying to oh there it is go back I can't see it okay in ictu oculi do you know what that means in it's a Latin phrase ictu well you can see the word oculi that means eye it in in Latin basically it means as time fly. it really means in the blink of an eye We came in 1977. Now, almost every single time that we have returned, it's always usually been during the winter. I have never understood that. I see more skin now on people's bodies than I have ever seen in my... We always come like in January and February. It's miserable. And uh, I I I can't take... We don't see snow in Italy at all, but uh, uh, where we live... But now I see feet, I see hands. I never knew you guys had those things. In the blink of an eye and in 1977, this is who showed up in your church. Now that photo should be outlawed and uh, you should not allow that anymore. But for some strange reason, uh, unique to God alone, we began cooperating uh, with this church and Aaron said it very plainly and clearly uh, a a relationship, not necessarily only of money, but we have shared so much together. Years have passed and now we're on a second side of our lives. And here we are still 45 years later, almost still faithful to the one love of my heart. Yes. And my wife is in the picture too. Um, They won yesterday, I think. What about Cleveland? Do they play? It's pre-season. Ah, it's preseason. That's like cartoons. Uh, well, anyway, it's been a, it's been a long time, and you know I love sports. Many of you know that. They have um, you go to a stadium. they say, programs programs. You can't tell the players without a program. Now, to understand what we do in Italy, I, I need to give you some context of who I am. And then we're gonna go into the word and see how it all fits together and where you come in and that you're gonna understand missions maybe in a way that you never did. Um, like I said, through since 1977, and that's, that's a long time. Uh, I'm not good in geography, but how many years is that since 77 to now? Who's the teacher? Who's the principal? Where's my principal? At? Yeah, you're the principal. How many years is that Mr. Principal smart guy? Yeah, he said 83. All right, well, 83 years that we've been coming back and forth. But you need to understand something. This call from God was not because I went to a mission conference. This is who I was in 1968. Now, my father was in the Navy from Los Angeles in the Watts area in South Central L.A. where we grew up. He was on in the Hornet, the USS Hornet, and he received his... Next service duty in 1967 to go to Italy, Naples, Italy. Of course, I was a young person uh, and the family attends, goes with the family, uh, the person serving. And unfortunately, my dad being an alcoholic and all that. As soon as I turned 18, I left home. It was the height of the Vietnam War and I would be drafted anyway. I didn't care if I lived or died. So what I did, I wasn't about to draft Dodge or anything like coming from military family, but they can't draft you outside of the States. And so I'm in Italy uh, for the period of time that my dad was there. Decided to go hitchhiking. And that's, that's what I was doing. Living on the streets of Europe. Uh, lost. Now, not because I did not have a, a GPS, because you see deep down in here, there was that song, Blind. And not because you can't see things, but you don't understand eternity or where you're headed towards judgment without Christ. And there may be someone here today, uh, you might be in church, but if you're not in Christ, you're in trouble. And you need to get that straightened out before anything else in your life. Well, I'm, I'm wandering. this just, uh, you know, the lost coin, uh, the prodigal son, the lost sheep, all rolled up into one person not knowing from day to day. I mean, I was all through Europe, just going everywhere. And uh, 53 years ago, 53 years ago, August the 8th, 1968. You know that song, Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day, day I shall what? Never forget. I not only can not forget the day. Oh, what a, I can, I know where I was where I was seated, everything about that moment. It was a Thursday. It was August the 8th. It was 1968. I had actually made it up from Naples, to Switzerland, Austria, France, everywhere. And I was on a ferry boat crossing the English Channel on my way to England. Lost. A young man comes up to me. It was about 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon on this ferry boat crossing the English Channel. And this young man, Swedish young man with a mission group that was returning back to England from a a summer mission tour, much like what your church did here 12, 13 years ago. They were coming back, this small group, it's called Operation Mobilization As a mission group. They do literature and things like that. Well, this young man sees me. And for some unknown reason to humankind but known to God comes up to me and shares with me this most amazing uh, news that I had ever heard in my life before that there is hope for a hopeless, miserable, lost sinner like I was. And I immediately understood the importance of that message and in spite of my rebelliousness and in spite of the fact that you could still see the blood dripping on my hands from the crucifix I mean I was I was one of those like you I, I know most of your faces because I remember you at the cross you were there I remember we were grappling for the that hammer together and I I still had it on my hands and and yeah uh, in a very dramatic and I personal way I understood for the very first time that Jesus loves me in spite. Now, uh, in a very short t- period of time, I mean, my life was transformed. It's the song said it, my, my chains fell off. My heart was free. It was, tr- I mean, it is. Tr- it's not a song, it's true. And when these people write these songs, it's from a heart that knows this is true not because they're a member of a church. Well, uh, in a very, very quick time, what I decided to do, in spite of my limited understanding of Italian, I, I began attending Bible college. And this is the only Bible college, in uh, back in those days, in Rome, in 1969, so I'm just not even a year old in the Lord. And I'm, I want to go to Bible college. Well, I'm going to Bible college in a, in a city that I have no idea how to get there or anything. I hitchhiked up there too. And uh, in Italian, imagine learning Italian. And then you got to learn the Bible and all this. And it was overwhelming. And this is the, uh, these are the students. What is it? 13, 14 kids and a nation of 60 million. One Bible college. And well, I began falling in love with the word of God, because in the word of God, there was the God of the word who loved me and I was learning about him. And then I started attending some small churches in Italy. Get it through your heads, folks. Well, of course, Aaron and the rest of the team, you were there. What you saw in Italy in that one church is, is not a common thing. Churches of this dimension, this size, are quite the unnatural thing. Most churches are between 40, 50 people, small. I went to one church and I and I saw uh, just a small group of people there. And I, I decided right then and there to use the words of another Douglas, Douglas MacArthur. I shall return. And so we came back, well, I came back to the States in 1970 and did my uh, Bible training and so on. It was easy for me back in those days, 1970, because I only think there were like 20, 20, 30 books in the Bible back in the seventies. And they added a whole bunch more and we got all we have now. And uh, of course went on to Bible college and all that kind of stuff. And, and, but before stepping back, in Italy in 19, when we got appointed in 77, I made up my mind again to do something and to anchor myself to this very important decision. It would be an unmovable decision. I would, I would not uh, sway from that decision. It wouldn't matter any which way. And I would stay true to that decision. I want you to open your Bibles to First Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm gonna tell you what my decision was. And I'm hoping that as you read this with me, you're going to say, "Yep, this is my decision." So, First Corinthians chapter two. I'm only going to read a first couple of verses here. Here's the Apostle Paul writing to this group. They're all crazy. They got all kinds of problems. Uh, he's referring to a trip that he made some years before. And he says to them in First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. And here it is. This is why it didn't matter to him, the results. For I resolved, I made up my mind. To know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I, I I determined, I came to a very important decision. Before coming to you, before talking about God, I'm, I'm gonna make my decision. Oh, but you know what? I'm gonna know nothing amongst you except, let's see how to make how to make better church meetings or how to, how to make a better carpet or whatever. You know, some people have it in their minds that they're going to change things because they need to be changed or whatever. Paul is saying, I, I made up my mind. And when he says that in verse 2, he's saying, uh, based on the facts of who God is, based on his eternal nature... Based on what scripture is, I, I, I made up my mind. Now, what he's saying is, I it wasn't a campfire thing. It wasn't an emotional, ooh, I want, I'm going to do this. No, no, he looked at the facts, looked at all the possibilities for the soul of man, judgment of God, eternal hell, heaven, all those things. Well, let's see here. What's the only way? Oh, I made up my mind, he said. I want to know one thing. Jesus Christ and him crucified, meaning the sense of his sacrifice, the why that he died on the cross, the, and, and, and therefore the reason that man needs him. In other words, everything has to do with everything. It has to do with Jesus and him crucified. And resolute, determined. He's not going to sway from that. And that's what I decided in my own mind. Um, let me eliminate everything else. Let me exalt one one. And that's Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he says, I want to do that. So we arrived in 1970, 78. And a nation of 60 million people, all right? Now... Uh, Italy is almost the size, if you could say, of Ohio in terms of its superficial area size. There's a lot of people there. And uh, let me show you what we found when we arrived there. This is the boot of Italy, as you know. And we come down further and further into the area of Naples. Now, that's not brown dirt. No, nope. that's nothing but houses, zillions and Just a lot of houses. And in that area, there you see it, is one small church. That's our church. And the team that came in 2008 was there. Surrounded by nothing but what? buildings and of course in all those buildings are nothing but people more and more and more people than you can imagine and in that area there is no other church quite like this that preaches the word of God in all that I mean wherever you look there there's no other church and, and you can extend the the rays as far as you want and there's our little star right there is where we lived and uh, that's where we began ministering that's what we began doing. And oftentimes, it was nothing but pain and disappointment, to be very honest. You know, you leave, you leave here, and here's West Hill Baptist. They give you a check, and the people here applaud, and you got air conditioning. You go over there, and uh, it ain't that way, folks. We came there. We began ministering in uh, just a small little I guess it was three meters by four meters. Well, if you can't see it, I try to put the little area right there so you can see the size of it. And uh, it had room for about well, 15 people. On a good Sunday, when I would pay them to come, you know, maybe 10 people. On a bad Sunday, you close the, the uh, gates and so on, and you go home and you say, wow, Maybe I should determine to know something else. Maybe I should determine to know other things, um, how to make this thing happen, because it wasn't happening. And it's theoretically still not happening in a nation of, of 60 million. Uh, 1,700 years of, of a state-run church that is all but blinded and, and caused them to know, not have hope. And this religiosity is ingrained in every pore of their lives. And and how do you reach these people? You tell me. Help me. How do you do this? Let's see here. Ah, telemarketing. We could do that. Well, maybe special colored lights. that would be it. How about how about uh, smoke on the stage or so? Well, maybe. How do you reach? It? Maybe a new name. You know, name. Get the word Baptist out of it. That's number one. And then if you just, they used to have the, uh, the fellowship and now they just have, without nothing, they just put anchor or light. And uh, so maybe that's what it'll do. It was tempting. You can hear the voice of the apostle Paul ringing out in that letter. What did he say? I don't want to know nothing. Don't confuse me. I know what the soul of man needs. You can't tell me differently. I know why Jesus died. I know why there's judgment. I know what sin does. I don't want to know nothing. Take it away. I'm going to stick to what I know. And what I know, I'm going to share with you. Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not the name, it's not the lights, it's nothing. It's him and him crucified. That has to be central in the ministry. It has to be central in the man's life too. And that's what we did. Uh, we we preached him, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth. And the, I mean, he still is, will always be. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the central part of our lives, the plan of God and everything. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the A to Z. He's the author of a perfect salvation. He's everything that man could hope for. Uh, and that's what, that's what I did. I said, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to anchor myself to that decision. I'm going to do it. And it was as I could hear Paul's writing to Timothy as Paul is concluding his final days there in that prison in Rome. Did you guys see that prison in Rome when you did you go there? The Mamertine prison? Little hole in the ground there. And... Boy, it's cold there, and it's miserable. And, and, you know, he's got a a watch on, and he could say, well, tomorrow's it. Tomorrow's my day. They're going to cut my head off. And he's got a little bit of time left. So he dips his pen into that ink for the final time, and he writes this final word to Timothy. Because after me, Timothy, it's you. Timothy, I got one thing you're going to do. Timothy, whether it's in Corinth whether it's in Akron, this is what I want you to do. First, second Timothy chapter four, preach the word. You know, as Paul concludes that final fourth chapter, and he says in view of God's, uh, the the eternal plan of salvation and the return of Christ and this and that and judgment, do one thing. Now look when you, uh, I, I circle that word preach. It's a very, very interesting word now the word we get our word modern word from this ancient Greek word and it's many people simply translate it as Herald. Herald the word. Now what does the herald the word mean? Well first to tell you what it doesn't mean this is not Herald. That has nothing to do with Herald okay that's some other idiot When Paul said preach and we get our word herald from it, he was talking about this guy, the town crier. It's the same word we get. We take it from that in 2 Timothy 4. And we use that as a herald, the the town crier. He'd go in a village with a voice loud and clear. He'd ring that bell if they didn't hear him. Hear ye, hear ye. And this guy was really really important. They didn't have email, they didn't have internet. He had to communicate a clear message from the king to his servants or his population. Uh, This man, he feared no enemy. He really had no friends. He couldn't be swayed by politics. He wasn't politically correct. He wasn't an ambassador, okay? He wasn't out there to negotiate a peace settlement or something like that. He didn't care about that. He didn't care about politically correctness. He had something from the king that had to be communicated. Now, hear ye, hear ye. This is what the king says. Hear ye, hear ye. It's what the king wants. It may not be politically correct, it may not be culturally acceptable in these days of everything is changed. I mean, we have come back to, we've come back to an America that's changed. It's not, I don't remember it like this. I remember the message like this. And on behalf of the king, I'm still preaching that same message. And I'm not really interested, even if you like it or not. It doesn't matter to me. Hear ye, hear ye. The king says this and it's an eternal message and it's a message that it doesn't matter who it is or where it is it could be in italy could be in west hills area akron doesn't matter you see the message is the same this is the sense of first corinthians when paul says once again i I, I'm, i'm not interested in other things i have a message from the king, it's this, preach the word. Therefore, when he says, I resolve to know nothing, nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus still is the way, truth, and life. There is no hope. There is no salvation. There is no life out of him. And I I did that. I was determined. Call me obsessed, okay? I'm just like this. You're not gonna convince me that there's another hope, that there's another salvation, it's Him. And with that in mind, I kept preaching and kept doing it. And little by little, there was response. And as you can see here, this is a, well, your team was there. Um, This is our church, one of them, the Kasoria Church. Uh, People who are touched, who have been touched not by dynamic preaching, but by living word, the word of God, and has touched their lives and permeated their lives. And they of course share it with others. And you could see there's, it's, a, it's a church that has a lot of people and COVID has done its damage in our church like it's done everywhere else. But on the last days of our time there, before we left, even in spite of COVID, uh the well, you can see there I'm preaching everyone's got their masks on and uh, that's our second church, the church in Melito. and uh, to hear them sing and to hear them praise God and to hear their life. well well look at this, just see this. It does work doesn't it and this church should be honored that you have invested your resources not in a man but an eternal message that is still alive today you see because the condition of man is the same from Adam and Eve's fall to the last one on planet earth the condition is the same if the condition of man is unchanged the solution has to be unchanged and it has to be the same for everyone and so we have a message jesus christ the unchangeable savior uh jesus christ the immutable solution jesus christ the same yesterday today and for i am determined resolute to the day i die and just since my Conversion till now, 53 years past. I haven't changed the message because the message has not changed. And God blessed that young man on that ferry boat who 53 years ago didn't say, well, maybe you should change your, cut your hair. No, he shared with me the unchangeable solution to my eternal problem. And that was Jesus Christ, that's the core of my message. You see, he opens still the door to heaven. He still gives peace to the heart. He still guarantees eternal life, just like that song we sang. No one can pluck me out of his hand, safe for all eternity. I I know that, I'm proof of that. He give, He's given me hope. Uh, no message that, sh, that you have or that I have is more glorious than this. There's no truth that is more holier than this. He's still the greatest message ever preached. That's all that we can give to the people out there. They're not looking for new things. They're looking for old things, eternal things. And that's Jesus Christ. He's the reason why souls are alive today. Do you know that? Same thing. And when I think about that, I think about these men and women whose lives have been changed. I wish Rachel was here. These two young men that you see there, way, 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 way back, had a chance to lead them to Christ. Marco and Jenny, they both married sisters and they live across the street one to another. And they came to know Christ at the same time, back in 1981, I led them to Christ and uh, and they had their work and so on, but they they're, they were consumed by the church. they just loved doing stuff and eventually they, they stopped working on Saturdays and Sundays and started working more in the church and, and eventually I said, you, they, they, they were my first men that I started mentoring and, and here we are back in about 1992 uh, after about 10 years in Christ where we're consecrating them to the ministry. No real future. Economically, churches don't do that in Italy. You need to understand while you're generous with your pastoral staff and your others, continue doing that. But in Italy, they, they don't have that mentality. I would say maybe... Two, 3% of all the churches have paid pastors, the rest, you know, truck driver, whatever. And therefore his message is, is not what it should be because he can't study and, and the church is suffering and limited. We said, no, we're gonna do it, th- we're gonna do it a different way. and and here, they, and here are some of these men that your church just gave resources for to help out as COVID has ravaged that nation. As you understand, when tourism is your number one industry in Italy, and there are no more tourists. You you can only imagine that, right? I mean, no Americans, no nobody's coming there. So everything has been just devastated, uh, offerings, people's jobs. It's all that uh, back here. Jenny, Jenny Carleo. He's one of those two men kneeling down there, uh, studying to become a priest. And I led him to Christ, and then he gave his heart to Christ. Studying now, uh, as leading the church in Casoria right next to him there's Marco and he was a pot-smoking dope idiot and uh, he came along with Jenny just interested in this American guy and next thing they come to know Christ and they have stuck by me since 1981 and Aaron if I had to give one qual- you know if I was saying I need an assistant in my church I, I wouldn't even worry if, if you can't read the Bible I, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry if you could sing dance my number one qual, faithfulness faith I see many here that I have known for just many years and it's so good to see you and then I see your kids too it's amazing. And uh, you know, some of these kids were were actually in their mother's belly back in 2008. They were playing soccer. These women. Now you think that what's so? Because only men play soccer in Italy, and a woman playing soccer in Italy is not good. A woman playing soccer, pregnant, is close to an abomination. And they were playing soccer with their bellies out like that. <laughs> and the babies were born all right. I see them rolling a bit, but that's all right. I guess there's nothing. And then, we, and, so, and then we have Tito, he is, uh, he's a fireman. If you were to hear Tito preach, you would hear thunder. If you were to hear Tito preach, you would stick to your seat like that and, and you would say the voice of God. An amazing man that I had a chance to lead to Christ way back when, and he's staying with us. And then in the middle, many of you remember him, there's Tony, ball-headed guy right there. When I met Tony back in 1994, full of cocaine, heroin, LSD, hash. There was no drug that he had not done. He was hopeless. His, he had some cousins that had come to our church and the parents of Tony said, maybe you should take him to your guy because our son has demons. He's possessed by demons. They didn't know the dark side of Tony. And they brought him to our house in November. 24, 1994, and he came to. I want. I want to just show you this video.
2: I dealt drugs in order to take drugs. I robbed to get drugs. I snatched handbags on my motorcycle to get drugs. And I tricked people. Tony Aruda's life had turned into a
3: gut-wrenching mix of drug-induced highs and drug-deprived lows. He grew up in a poor Italian neighborhood. By his own account he had a normal childhood and later became a pilot for the fire department. Those were
2: very great times because to top it off I was wearing a uniform that made me look uh, pretty handsome. And I was uh, successful with women, my car, my motorcycle, women. As he lived out his dream
3: Tony began smoking marijuana. That's when things went seriously wrong.
2: Uh, Because of my way of life. They fired me because I was more of a problem than something positive. So it was a very bad time in my life. Tony dove deeper into drugs. He was at a party when he
3: used cocaine for the first time. I took it with pleasure that day because the effects were very nice. That began an eight year tug of war
2: with addiction. I also took heroin, which is totally opposite to cocaine. I mean the effects, at the time as far as I was concerned, the more drugs I took, the more I wanted to take. But when I wasn't taking drugs, these thoughts of my family, my father, my mother used to come to mind. I was seeing these images and my heart was aching, but it only lasted for a little while because the monster then took over. That's to say my addiction prevailed. I constantly thought, I have to take drugs, I must have an injection. For years, Tony managed to
3: hide his secret life from those closest to him. I was a great
2: actor. I succeeded in masking the whole thing because I found the right excuse at the right moment. In 1994, Tony
3: stole a woman's purse that was filled with money. He knew exactly what he would spend it
2: on. I went to buy drugs, a lot of drugs. And when I fixed, at the very moment when I shot myself, After just a few seconds, I went into a coma, and I remember the last moment, just as I lit the cigarette, I went into the coma. I remember I was under a lamp. I opened up my eyes under an intense light. I remember the doctor's words, I will never forget it. He said, we snatched you from death. If it was just a couple of seconds later, we would not have been able to do anything for you. Thank God, I thought. Now hurry up, because I have to get out of here.
3: Afterwards, Tony could no longer keep up the facade. His sister and her husband noticed that something had changed. He was always on edge. So they took him to speak with a local pastor. Tony nearly laughed when the man asked about his problem. When he asked me this, I said,
2: I don't have a problem. I have a billion problems. But you can't help me. And he said, come on. You are here now, tell me. And I told him all that I was doing in five minutes, from my past to the moment. He put his hand on my shoulder and he told me, you're right, I can't help you, but I know the one who can. Then he told me, Tony, if you put your trust in the name of Jesus, not in a church, not in a religion, not in a pastor, but in Jesus Christ, at this very moment, God can help you because he reads your heart and so with all my heart I decided to believe in Jesus Christ and at that moment a chill came over me it was an
3: experience Tony had never had before he knew it was God
2: I said Jesus I want I want to look at people's faces I want to enjoy the Sun I want to smile I want to love life the gift you've given us I want to start over again. Help me! And at that very moment, it really happened. From that moment on, no more drugs, no more blasphemies, no more robberies, no more swear words. Only love for my neighbor, love for myself, and
1: love for life. And that's Tony. It's not a uh, not an invented thing. It's uh, that that's what's going on now. And that is why we have given our lives. The ministry is going on even now while we're here. They're doing the same thing. We are heading into uh, phase two of our lives. Uh, we feel very, quite uncomfortable here in the States. You know, we've, Our two daughters married young Italian men from that city. Um, we've lived there all, almost all of our lives and now we're sort of, we're changing. I don't like to use the word retirement because I, I don't see myself that. I're uh, going I have a great project I'm going to share with uh, Brother Aaron later, how our ministry, even as we theoretically retire officially in March, that uh, the relation between Italy and West Hill will continue as you don't support us, but our local pastors, even as you have now, and that will give me an excuse to come back here and give you updates. So we're not saying goodbye. We're saying a different thing is going to happen. Same message. Amen. Same great God, same salvation, same plan. Nothing has changed. Uh, We're just getting older and uh, more excited about what God is going to be doing because his word is faithful and he always maintains his promises. Is that right? Lord, we thank you for this body of believers here that means so much to us. Over the years we've come and gone and uh, it is really interesting to see the young women that came over there and now their kids are are bigger and uh, other men are working and the church is yours and there is an evident display of love and uh, unity in the body. Thank you for Aaron and his leadership. I, I, remember, I remember well. We remember well. My wife and I do. Such a young group of, of inexperienced men and women leading. And yet time has proven all of that as your faithfulness is greater than any inexperience or youthfulness. Thank you for what you've done for West Hill, for what you've done for us, and what you've done together for the kingdom we continue to elevate and exalt only Jesus as He is our Lord and Savior, Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Doug. And uh, just a few minutes, Vince is going to come and, and close this in prayer or in uh, the song. But then after that, I'd like to pray with you and D. And uh, I just want to say thank you for 43 years of faithful ministry. 43 years. It's amazing that we've supported you 44 overall. So we won't we won't ask for our money back. We we we've uh, we see the investment. We've seen it. We've acknowledged it. We've read it. Um, you've given good testimony of what God has done. Um, for those of you who went on that trip in 2008, uh, our missions trip, we'd like to get a quick picture. Uh, at the end of the service uh, with Doug and D, because they'd like to uh, send that back. And then uh, for those of you who are new here, you may not know, but our faith promise giving is the way that we support our missionaries. So we have our operating fund, but then above and beyond that, we ask for, uh, for us together that we would give faithfully. Uh, it's called Faith Promise. We live by faith and trusting that God will provide. And so by faith, we support our missionaries um, here in our Akron area, but across the globe as well. And so let me encourage you. Um, if there's a weak area in this last year and a half that we've kind of struggled in, it's that area of our faith promise giving. And so let me encourage you as God leads, you heard it this morning. Um, I didn't have Doug come so that we could do a plug so that you would give to faith promise. This is real life. This is real. And God is using the gospel. I all have always said, and I strongly believe that missionaries shouldn't be just something that we just give money to like child support. Missions is an extension of West Hill Baptist Church. Our missionaries are considered as part of our staff. They're an extension of who we are, and we need to continue to give that—give our prayers, our time, our energy, and our resources—to them. So, as God leads you, let me encourage you um, to give to our Faith Promise missions. Um, next week, we'll have—we'll be celebrating baptism excited to do that. If you, um, if God is leading in your life and you, um, sense and know that need of baptism, let me encourage you to do that. Um, baptism, let me, I'll be bold. All right. Bible says that baptism is not an option. Jesus commands us. Okay. And so this morning, let me encourage you. If you have not been baptized, that you prayerfully dig into the word of God and seek God and see that when somebody gets saved and accepts Jesus as their savior, there's, there's another decision that goes with that. And it doesn't hinge on your eternity. You're saved. You're going to heaven. You've started that relationship with God. But that's an outward expression of what is going on inside. And the Bible and, and God says that's real and that's important. And so next week we're going to have another baptism. And so we're really excited. And if that's something that you want to take part in. Uh, let me encourage you. Would you talk to me, speak with me or Pastor David, Pastor Ed, any of our staff? We'd love to be able to walk you through that. Um, Vince, would you play for us? And as Vince plays, I, I would like for you to prayerfully consider, what have you decided? Doug shared that about his life and, uh, and when he accepted Christ and then God's calling in his life to preach Christ. Um, but let me ask you, what does your life look like? Have you decided to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, fully committed, no matter what it costs? I hope you have. To know Christ, to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. Maybe this is a time where you need to reflect and maybe you need to ask for God's forgiveness. We have a gracious and merciful God. Amen? He is quick to forgive. If we confess, we need to come to him and confess though. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness.